you don't have to be the brightest guy in the room. A good CEO finds talent. A good CEO finds people that can do the work better than you can in regards to delivering the outcomes. Right? A good CEO then uh, looks after them and enables them and clears the way for them to be great. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations with me, your host, Andy Dixon. Thanks for listening in and welcome to any new listeners out there. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you check out my other conversations with other amazingly ordinary human beings who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. And if you want to support what I'm doing here at the podcast, would you consider telling one other person about it? You know, thanks to everyone who already does this. Uh, you guys are the only way that this thing grows, so I'm really appreciative of that. Today I have the honour of having Bruce Pilbrow on the podcast, whose wife Amanda featured just a few episodes ago. Bruce is a CEO who's worked across business and not-for-profits. He loves working in spaces that have a positive impact on the world, and he's become a bit of a transformation specialist, helping organisations change and adapt to better fulfil their mission. We talk about disrupting the status quo, building culture, and doing it with empathy. We hear how Bruce's role as a CEO is about discovering talent and harnessing it to allow both the people and the organisation to flourish. We hear about his current role with the Spirit of Adventure Trust, who specialise in youth development. And we talk about being an ally to the young people in our lives so that they can thrive and live their best lives. This is episode 80 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Bruce Pilbrow. It's a privilege to be sitting with Bruce Pilbrow today. Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Andy. Good to be here. And excitingly, I think, other than um, members of my own family, you're the first completed set of married couple that I've had on the podcast, because of course I had Amanda on not, ah. not too long ago. Oh, yes, you got into the, did you get into the mind of Amanda? Man, <laughs> yeah, uh, I did. <laughs> yeah. Try, live, try living with someone who's so smart and um, so articulate at the same time. Um, yeah. Uh, I've learned so much from her the last, well, for, over my life, but certainly the last five years. Well, here's your chance Study. to prove you're articulate and smart as well. Well, <laughs> yeah. so so I think she set the bar very, very high, and then we're just going to probably just, you know, show show what common people look like. <laughs> awesome. So, um, so apart from being married to Amanda, no hair queer, who are you? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm Bruce, as you know. Uh, I'm 55 years old. Um, I don't feel 55. I still feel 25, but um, a bit more grey now. Uh, I'm currently the CEO of the Spirit of Adventure Trust, so I get to play with a big tool ship, and and, and I guess the core of our business is youth development. Um, I'm married to Amanda, 34 years this year, which is uh, yeah, I think that's a real achievement these days. Yeah. Um, So it's something we're very proud of, and we still deeply love each other. Um, Got three growing children. Um, a son, 29, a daughter, 26, and another daughter who's 24. And um, two of them are married, so I guess got more kids. Yeah. Can't really call them kids anymore. I'm not sure what to call them, young adults. Not really young adults. Uh, they're my children. I still yeah. see them as that. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think they'll so. never stop being your kids, will they? 
No, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think um, what's really cool, Andy, is that um, you still you still have to put the parent hat on. You know, there's there's still times in life where you know my daughter will ring me and and she just needs me to be her daddy, her dad, yeah. not a daddy, her dad. You got to be careful <laughs> saying that these days. Um, but her dad, um, and you know, I think from a parenting perspective, it's so nice to be in a place where our relationship with our kids is so you know it's a it's a real two way deep um, relationship where we share stuff that's going on in our lives, and whilst we've still got the father daughter or father son connection, there's also a deeper connection which is a sort of a, a deep friendship. Um, yeah, uh, and I feel very privileged to be in that position, really. Yeah. yeah, oh no, that's beautiful. Mm. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about some of the roles that you've you've had um, over your career. Um, yeah, and and well, you've ba- you've bounced around between both the business world, the not for profit world. Um, you've been a sort of marketing director, CEO, board yeah. member, um, and and for a bunch of names that the that a lot of New Zealanders <clears throat> would would recognise. You know, Parenting Place, World Vision, Yellow, Spirit of Adventure, um, Canteen. Yeah a whole yeah. bunch of those kind of organizations that are kind of household names in New Zealand in a bunch yeah. of ways. Yeah. Um, what, what is it that attracts you to an organization? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Cause I, I guess at the moment, uh, turning 55, I've, I found myself, uh, found myself in this sort of real space of sort of, I guess, reflection of kind of, you know, why am I here and what am I trying to do? And, uh, Maybe I should do that at twenty one, but I think I think it's normal to do it at fifty five, or yeah. certainly in your fifties. Um, and I guess, yeah, I guess I've been trying to answer that question for myself. For me, um, I'm looking for some form of impact, uh, and now impact can be bottom line, it can be dollars, it's dollars and cents, and, and that's fine. But I get more attracted, I think, by things that are trying to shift a dial or trying to make a difference at a deeper level. Yeah, um, and I think in a country like New Zealand. When you work in the space like that, where you're trying to shift a dial or trying to move something, you it, it requires a different type of person. It requires a, a deeper level of creativity. Uh, it, it requires a sense of trying to be very holistic the way you look at things. Uh, and it doesn't tend to be as transactional as, say, I've got product A, I need to put it on the shelf and connect it to the customer and sell it. You know, like a toothbrush. Yeah. I mean... We all need toothbrushes, and they're important. Yeah. yeah, someone's got to do that. But it's quite a transactional relationship where when you're working in NGO or you're working in businesses that, that have a deep a deep meaning to them, um, the transactional sort of comes out of it and becomes much more of a, a deeper relationship with the customer, and I enjoy that um, because yeah. you start to see a change. Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, looking at some of those businesses or organisations that you've been in, um, you've led some big changes in those spaces, you know. Annoyingly so, some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you seem to you kind of be drawn to those transformation spaces, those places where you need to go in and make changes. Is that something yeah. that you thrive on, or is that just something that's kind of happened yeah. accidentally? Or I think I've become way more comfortable with it. it it's interesting because being the age I am, uh, and I'm probably what ten years, oh, twenty yeah. years further than uh, you. 10. Yeah. Then, but you know, back in the day, you sort of got a job and you stuck at it for 10, 15 years. And people often say to me, you know, you seem to move a bit. And I go, well, I'm a CEO. You know, I think if a CEO is there beyond five years, you've got to be, you know, you've got to stay fresh because. Yeah. Uh, and I think a good leader is one that recognizes that they recognize that you're there for a time. You you are sh- you you're handed the baton. 
there's a, a great book called Legacy, which is about the All Blacks, and I, I'm sort of not a I'm not a massive sport nut, but what it talks about there is handing the jersey over in a better condition than when you got it. So when you go into an organisation, I think a CEO in particular, um, or even uh, anyone in the C-suite, your job is that you take the baton and you are there for a time to transform it into something better than when you had it. And then when you leave, you pass it on uh, and you pass it on well. And you leave well and you pass it on well with the hope that they would do the same. Um, and I've certainly found myself in a situation where I've stayed longer as a CEO. The period in place I was there for nine years, uh, seven as CEO, where I was getting to the stage where actually I probably wasn't going to be good for the brand long term because I would be looking for ways to break it or destroy it or yeah. put it into that into that sense of needing fixing again. Yeah. Um, and you're better to better to step away and let someone else pick up the reins. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you look at yellow. I mean, I was yellows. Well, that was an interesting project because it was transforming a an old way of thinking, which is a paper-based model into a digital framework. And, but I was still annoying in the meetings. I was still going, so what's the mission? You know, why, what's, where's the heart of this? It's not just about people finding people. It's about helping a small business thrive and realizing that they are scared of the digital world and how can we hold their hand so that they can have a beautiful experience stepping into a digital space. And I used to always talk about Jim who owned Jim who owned the tire shop. You know, Jim who does tires all day, loves tires, loves tires all day, but he doesn't know how to connect a customer through a digital framework. How can we help Jim become better so he has more time for his family? So I'm always looking for yeah, the missional awesome. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Whereas yeah. previously Jim would have had his number in the phone book. Yeah. And, and would have relied on that to be found. Yeah. And now Jim needs to realise that he needs to create content and has to have a bit of a character and he needs to have a story and um, he needs to be a bit more vulnerable and share himself yeah. as the community starts to connect with him and therefore use his business. So that's kind of how I think. Yeah. And yeah. does that bring you real joy when you see those changes happening? 100%. Yeah, 100%. When you see someone, uh, my, my business uh, coach would say to me that I, I walk into a business and I can see where we need to go very, very quickly. Um, because the word transform or disrupt can often have negative connotations. And the negative connotation in that space is that when you disrupt or transform, it usually can have a negative impact on people. Um, and what um, my business manager said, and I, she only said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, I'm taking it on board. She said, you have the ability, Bruce, to disrupt but build culture at the same time. And I think you can do that. But you do need to do it differently. And you're going to ask me how now, aren't you? <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, I was just thinking, man, that sounds difficult. But, you know, well, it, yeah. It, well, it is. I mean, we often talk about love. You know, love is not just all the fluffy stuff. It's also the tough conversations. Mm. And when it comes to transformation uh, or any form of disruption, um, you've still got to put people at the centre of it. And even though it may affect their roles, you still got to do that with love. And so what, what are things that are not with love? Taking, taking too long. I've seen transformations in Christian organisations and in non-Christian organisations that take a year. That's not love. That's painful. And that, dest that destroys culture. I see transformations that have no clear vision of where, where we're actually heading. The, the job of a CEO is to step up and go, we're at point A. We need to be at point B. This is what it looks like. And this is how long it's going to take, and this is how we're going to do it. And it's very consultative. 
Um, often in businesses, it's very transactional. You turn up to work, you get given an envelope, you're asked to, you know, it's a redundancy envelope, you're asked to, for your input, but the decision's already made. I mean, yeah. you've been there, I've been I've there. I've been there, yep. But how do you take an organisation on a vision? I mean, I had a big transformation to do at Yellow, and it actually, I think it moved about 60 people out of the business. But most of the people, when I did these one-on-one, said to me, I get the vision, I understand it, and I, I, I agree with you, there's no place for me. And then you move into the place of, okay, well, how do I bless you out? How do I look after you? Do you understand? So Yeah. Yeah. So transformation can be done and build culture at the same time, I believe, with clear mm. vision, being really decisive, uh, and making sure that you put people at the centre of it, and yeah. even if it's a tough conversation. Yeah, sounds like there's a lot of empathy involved. Has to. Be- because, um, you know, you're thinking about, okay, so this person – they're actually not going to be still working with us. Yes. But you're you're still thinking about them as a person and what does that mean for them? Yeah. I, I'm known for my walks around the block. I, I, I mean, we get, we're in the, I guess we're talking about the harsh side here, but Brené Brown has this wonderful uh, quote, you know, uh, you can either, ch- uh, vulnerability, well, there's, two, there's two quotes I love. One is when she talks about vulnerability, it's not about wearing your heart on the sleeve and, and I guess crying in the corner. It's about, being willing to sit in the discomfort. Yeah. So if I say something that's harsh or hard for you to hear, Andy, I have to sit in the discomfort with you. That's vulnerability. And if you cry in front of me or you're destroyed or distraught, I don't avoid it. I sit there with you and then try and work with you out to a solution. That's the core of vulnerability. If you have a transactional approach to to cultural change or to any forms of form of transformation, I can do that behind lawyers. That's yeah. not vulnerability. Um, yeah. I don't know what that is. I think that's cruel. Um, yeah. So you can, you can do it through a letter, an, an email. Yeah, and then the other and the other part of the other one I love from Breno Brown is you can choose courage or comfort, but you can't have both. And so often when you're shifting change in a business or an organisation or NGO or a church, you know, courage means that that you. You stick to your guns, your yes is your yes, and you move with decisiveness towards the goal. Um, and trust me, it's not comfortable for yeah. anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, we got into it quick, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's actually a really important part of what you've been involved in that we like to discuss with people because people see these people that come in and you know, make changes and suddenly people are gone and, and there's this kind of perception of callousness mm. and yet that's not at all the way that you're talking. Um, no. And and you're going, well, actually, if these changes don't happen, this thing's dying anyway or, you know, this yes, thing's not correct. going to achieve what it wants to achieve anyway. Yep. How can we get it there while caring for people in the best way we can and yep. turn it into a place where people actually flourish? You know, that's, that's what I'm picking up from you yeah. as opposed to that perception of oh this organization just killed all these jobs what a horrible thing you know yeah um and and it's okay to be uncomfortable and it's okay to sit in the discomfort yeah and i think you know i've I've also been in organizations where i've said if we don't change in eight months we'll be closing the doors and they chose not to believe me and that's okay I, i go well i've given you the information it's uncomfortable i'm i'm happy to follow through on it but if you don't want to change that's okay as well and i'll step back yeah. So it's. Uh, I was just thinking the other day on reflection. I, I don't say this to skite. I say this because um, I'm proud of it. 
every single person that I've had to move out of a business, I've done personally one-on-one, even mm-hmm. as a CEO. Um, so, I mean, like I said, we're getting into the hard side of transformation, which affects yeah. people. Um, the hard side, of, there's other hard sides of transformation as well. I mean, the other big one is, um, and you would have heard this a thousand times, Andy, so, oh, we used to do it this way, or back in 25 it was yeah. this, or we don't do it that way, or... You know, and that's naturally resistance to change. And anything, especially if you're talking about digital transformation, that becomes a big thing because you become so used to doing things a certain way in a certain system. And if you're not a digital native, it's even harder. But if you look at a church structure or an elder, you know, a, um, a not-for-profit or a business, um, the resistance to change and the fear around it uh, cripples you yeah. to the point that you actually miss out on greatness. I find that intriguing, yeah. Because I'm quite happy to sit in the, get in there, and get my hands dirty and go for it. You know, I remember with Manda, you know, you're talking about churches moving to a fully inclusive or affirming perspective. That's a painful transition transition for many churches, but it takes courage to do it, and discomfort, and there will be things will look very very different at the end. Your church may be 300 now it's 100 or whatever. Yeah. But have you got the courage to move through and do it because it's the right thing to do or it has a clear vision? And and I guess that comes back to what does success look like too? You yeah, know, what, well, what does great look like? Yeah. yeah. D- does great look like having having all those people on the, you know, bums on seats? Yeah. Or does it look like being authentic? Yeah. And, and feeling like actually the way that people are connecting here is because we are authentic and because we've embraced this journey. Yeah, um, and it, it goes across all, all industries. It goes across whether you're in a church, whether you're at NGO, or whether you're in business. The same, uh, I guess, um, ecosystem of thinking or whatever is exactly the, the premise is exactly the same. There's like a nostalgia factor, eh? Where people look back and go, "Oh, that was when it was good, so yeah. we need to go back to doing that." Yeah, and it's like, well, yeah. you know, actually going back to doing it that way isn't going to work now, you know. Yeah that but but it's a trap that we so often fall into as humans of yeah. going oh things have gone a bit awry let's go back to what worked mm. um, but there was a reason why it worked back then yeah. and that's not the set of circumstances that we're in now and yeah, yeah. tricky I mean I mean um, when the Israelites look back to Egypt they're going we want to go back we can't handle this yeah. it's too much discomfort yeah. the, the pain's real We'd rather be but slaves. Rather be slaves, you know. And and I mean that's an extreme example, but but it is an example of how people often think. Yeah. Um, because they and I think as a leader too, um, and I've learned this. I was terrible at it, and I think I've got better. Is that you've still got to recognise that people need to move at their own pace. Yeah. So yes, you can you can set a very clear vision, but you've also got to set expectations on them, but also yourself. So I get frustrations at work where I go, my expectation is you should be here, but you're here. Um, and um, maybe I'm setting expectations that are far too high, and I need to I need to call my heels a little bit and make sure embrace you and bring you on the journey better. Um, or the person might not be able to do it, and that's another conversation. Um, and so I've had situations, Andy, where I know that if I keep put if my expectations they need to be here, and I keep pushing them to it, I can actually destroy them rather than having an adult conversation to say, well, this is where we need to be. 
do you really see yourself there and what does it look like if you're not? Yeah. I think that connects with a, a conversation that we had when we caught up recently where we're talking about how your experience, you know, with business and with leading businesses um, and, and being in that not-for-profit world that you're in at the moment, you know, you, you look at a lot of the not-for-profit organizations around because we've got so many in New Zealand I think more per capita than just about anywhere else like maybe 36,000 not-for-profit organizations yeah. Um, yeah and and in a lot of those spaces the ones who are leading are the ones who had an idea or were passionate mm. about the thing or they're just really nice people or you know those kind of things but they don't have the business kind of experience to make some of those hard calls that that you've gained from from mm. working in your business roles so what um I guess, how does your business background change the way that you lead in those contexts compared to some of those other types of people? Yeah. And again, it's just transferable across all the sectors, right? You don't have to be the brightest guy in the room. That's probably the first thing. Um, a good CEO finds talent. A good CEO finds people that, um, that can do the work better than you can in regards to delivering the outcomes, right? A good CEO then uh, looks after them and enables them and clears the way for them to be great. I think what happens if, if you intrinsically uh, wear the product, I guess if one of a better word, or the cause in my heart, and that's my focus, it can distract me from running a good business. I employ people that are pa passionate about it. So take youth development. Am I passionate about it? Yes. Do I want to be a frontline guy that's really in the, in the mud in the trenches? No but I will find the right person who is and I'll pay them well and I'll look after them and I'll enable them and give them a culture where they can thrive so they can give yeah. absolutely the best to that young person. That's my job, yeah. is to do that. If I'm in the trenches every five minutes, then who's running the organisation? Who's thinking about payroll? Who's thinking about taxes? Who's thinking about our vision? Who's thinking about our, our strategy, our direction? Who's thinking about... Uh, how we're going to fund it, who's thinking about all the other things that make success look great so yeah. that that one person at the front line can do the absolute best job they can. Yeah, because if those people on the front line are having to think about taxes and having to think about payroll, mm. they're also getting distracted from what they're good at. 100%. 100%, and it happens a lot. And it's the same with, and I take that methodology when I go into corporate, is, is I do well in corporate for a couple of reasons. One is, when you're from NGO, you can't help but think it's like your own business. Because if you give me a dollar, Andy, I have this connection with you that says, I must honour that dollar with everything I've got. Yeah. Because you've personally given that to me. Secondly, I'm not going to do better than that. How do I make that dollar turn into 10? By being smart and strategic. That's a very different attitude, I think, when you're in corporate, when money seems to be there and it's someone else's money. So when I was working at Yellow, I did really well because I had that methodology and that mindset of kind of going, when we transform, this is going to be the greater return. We're going to help the mission of the, young, of the small business start to think about digital differently. But secondly, the return on investment is going to be much higher because every dollar we spend, we're going to make sure we spend it in the right space, in the yeah. right place with the right outcomes. So that's, that's a job of a good leader, I think. Um, mm. And you're right, I think people get over-promoted into leadership roles or they're not leaders, and that's okay. You know, your skill set, you might be, I mean, your, your skill set might be you can walk up to anyone on the street and have the most beautiful empathy that makes that person feel seen and heard. 
my skill set might be that I make one plus one equal two so that you get paid to do it. Yeah. That's great. One plus, because two of us, we create greatness. Yeah. Yeah. I think in a lot of NGOs, uh, such a blanket statement, isn't it? When you say a lot of NGOs, I think I'm, I think we're all challenged. It's maybe a better way of saying it. Of kind of going, are we running the best business or business structure or business model that allows us to get the best return, whatever that looks like? And if it's lives changed or souls changed or whatever you want to put as your return, yeah, um, you still got to start with that first premise. And what does mm. great look like to achieve that? Yeah. Lots of words, but I think I got it out. Yeah. No, that's cool. I process as I talk, so <laughs> it might not be the best for a podcast. We'll see oh, how it that's goes. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the parenting place before, and I think you mm. might be the fourth or fifth guest I've had on who's been through there at some stage. Well, I was the, so I was the first CEO, so there's been, other than Ian Grant. Yeah, right. So um, Greg Fleming was a general manager, so I just want to put that clear. Uh, we often we often laugh about that. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess I was the first transitional CEO from, I yep. guess, a founder to CEO model, which was a massive learning curve for me. Yeah, right. Mm. And so, like you said, you spent nine years there. So that mm. was quite a big chunk of of mm. your passion and your um, your life that you sowed into that. When you think of that time, you know, what are you really proud of? Um, number one, the people that we built, the team. Um, and, I, and, that, and that can be a bit of a throwaway comment, but but it, in essence, I still have deep connections with everybody in that organisation. I got an, I got a, um, a, a message the other day from someone I hired in 2006 or 2007, and she just reached out. So this is what, uh, shoot, you know, 15 years, years later. Years later, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to add it up. Um, uh, and when I hired them, I mean, I thought they were incredible, and I thought they had huge talent, un, un, raw talent, and um, and I didn't realise the impact I had on them. I just I just gave them a good culture to work in, and they came back and just said that it was actually absolutely transformative for their life, uh, and that's come through into their marriage and the way they bring up their children. I mean, what do you do with stuff like that? But I guess I guess for me, it made me reflect that we built a team of super connected people based it was a beautiful culture and the, and parenting place was a I've got to be honest with you it was a social experiment for me okay it was a master's thesis that never got published yeah. <laughs> I wanted to prove to myself and I guess to others watching and I think I did it was that I don't know if you've come across this Andy but uh, if you work in church or a mission people go we don't we don't talk about business we're a mission yeah you know and I have fundamentally disagree with that from the get-go, is that the mission can teach a business. So yellow, what's the mission? The mission is how do I hold the hand of a small business so that he can get digitally connected to help bring in more business which feeds his family? That sounds like a pretty bloody good mission to me. Yeah. And a business framework. But business coming back is how do I have the right people and culture pieces around so that I look after my people that, that they have a job description that they get paid well that you know this whole thing of of oh we're a charity we should get paid less than a business is you know there's an element of truth in the sense that you've you've got different levers and income coming in but it doesn't have to be so far apart that you know you're starving and you, and you can't afford to feed your family but you're out there saving kids I mean that's just rubbish yeah in my view 
So I wanted to prove at the Parenting Place that we could have a business mindset and a business framework, but with a very strong mission output. So, for example, I had a fundraiser there who was paid $35,000. She was bringing in close to a million dollars. She was bringing in most, almost a million dollars a year. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I went to market and said, what would a fundraiser like that be worth? And at the time, it was $85,000. So I said, right, so how do we get, so how do we get out of there? Um, and I think what happens, mate, is that we, an NGO especially, we go, oh, we can't afford to do it. And I go, that's the wrong question. The question is, what's the size of the problem? How big's the hole and how do we fill it? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, that's what I did. And, you know, I made some mistakes and I, I'm sure there's some few stories out there, but um, the biggest mistake I made is I probably moved too fast sometimes, didn't bring people on the journey. Um, but I surrounded myself with so super talent and... Um, I remember um, one of my um, uh, board guys, a guy called Sir John Graham, was on our board, had a very mm. powerful board. He said to me, Bruce, you never have to stand on a soapbox to tell people how great you are. The team you create will naturally reflect on you. I thought, wow, that's a great comment. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so that's probably what I'm proudest of. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you got four hours for this podcast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all good. So you're currently leading the Spirit of Adventure Trust. Um, yep. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the organisation is and um, mm. and what your role is there? So CEO, um, yep. uh, they hunted me down. Um, <clears throat> so I felt very honoured to take the role in the end. Um, I didn't really want the role at first. I, I man, I'd left Yellow and Mand and I were going to take a year off to travel the world and um, COVID came and et cetera. But um, they kept persisting and pursuing I guess I mean I did everything I did I turned up in journals and a t-shirt for interviews I you know <laughs> I was provocative um, uh, and um, but it kept you know I guess the everything aligned and it became the right role for this time the, the spirit of venture trust is 50 years old and the core of it what it does is youth development but it, it the it's probably the best in my view from what I've seen in my worldview, it's one of the best youth development programs, if not the best I've ever seen. And the primary reason for that is um, we have this audience audience captured for two, two uh, for ten days, twenty four hours, at sea. So forty young people come on board. They have no devices. They don't know each other. They get put into bunks. They come from all sorts of different, you know, culture and diversity and thinking and religion and it doesn't. And they get put into this melting pot. And they can't hide behind cell phones or avatars. They actually just have to become a community. And it's a tight community. I mean, you're bunking within inches of each other. You know, smells, bells, you name it, it's all there, you know. And what happens is that you sail a tall ship, which is a challenge in itself, but everything's a challenge. Getting up at 6.30 in the morning for a swim, prepping food, climbing the mast, setting sails, getting off the ship, going ashore, climbing, getting on with people. And what happens is that about day six, they get feral, almost like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> and then day seven, they click and become a community. And day nine, we hand the ship over and they run it. Wow. Everything from engineering right through to cooking meals for 53 people, the whole thing. 
and the confidence and the resilience and the self-worth and all those things and the and the community and the relationships that are deep walk off after 10 days and we do that 26 times a year actually more than that, 30 times a year well wow. so 1200 kids and Go for a walk now. Go 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 for a walk down the main street of Christchurch, wherever that is now, and um, say "Spirit of Adventure," and you will find within seconds someone who knows someone whose life's been changed, or they've been changed personally. Yeah. Um, so if I take a step back, so what's the power? The power is the ocean. To Moana, the power is um, it's very spiritual out there. Um, the power is. Uh, Tangaroa, the power is all those things that happen out there, um, nature, universe, God, whatever you want to call it for you, happens when you're out. And the same thing happens if you go for a tramp or whatever. Um, and it just is transformative. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 50 years this year. Cool. As of, as of December, yeah. And like you say, you're not the, the frontline person. You're You're the one kind of... Um, overseeing things and whatever, but yeah. do you do you go and spend time on the boats? Yeah, I have. I've I've, I've been out the ship uh, in my first three weeks. I went out and did a ten day voyage. I went out out as the most junior person on the ship, almost what's that undercover boss type thing? Yeah. almost a bit like that. Um, and I dealt front line with the, with the young people, and it was um, life changing for me. I mean, I knew nothing. <laughs> I was standing there and. Because what what happens is that forty young people come on board, they get split into four shifts of ten, and then they get what they call a watch assistant over that shift. So I was a watch assistant. So I'm standing at a station, a sail station, and they're looking at me, going, "So what do we do?" And I'm like, uh, "I don't know. Uh, we pull a rope, I guess." Um, but we're learning together. Um, yeah. I had this beautiful time actually. I was climbing the mast in a storm, which was scary. It was pouring down rain, and I hate heights, and I was really scared. Um, and I'm climbing the mast and I'm not comfortable. And I felt a hand on my shoulder and I turned around. It was one of the young guys, one of the young young people that came on board. Um, I won't say his name. He was 16 years old. And he goes, you've got this, Bruce. You can do this. That's so cool. Oh, sorry, it makes me feel a bit um, uh, emotional. But isn't that beautiful? Yeah. That, that you create a situation where, um, where a 55-year-old cisgendered, white male from North Shore uh, who's absolutely petrified gets encouraged by a young guy who I don't know in something in a most vulnerable time in my life climbing something that I don't like doing <laughs> yeah I mean that's it's anything that creates an environment like that is fucking cool sorry yeah. I can't think of another word <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah 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 so I'm imagining that you like given that that's kind of the way that you guys do it hearing talks of like boot camps and things like that probably doesn't float your boat. No, no. I think one of the things I'm really struggling with, Andy, and I'd love to know your opinion, is I think youth are being politicised at the moment. Mm. Um, I think youth in New Zealand, young people in New Zealand, rangitahi, um, are phenomenal. Yeah. I think they've been in a season where they've been locked down, held back, missed out on a whole bunch of firsts in their lives. And they've got blinkers on and they're lost and they're lost in the world of you know social media and hiding and hiding. And if we can find anything to just help them lift up mm. and see forward, you see greatness. In fact, way beyond us. Yeah. The, and the issues they care about are deep. You know, culture, diversity, environment, inclusion, 
they're, they're deep, deep issues. And if you give them a bit of space to run in that area, they will freaking transform us. And boot camps, and what we're doing is we're, we're focusing on the 200 kids that are in New Zealand that are ram raiding, and I feel for them, and we need to do a lot of work around them, but it is not... Uh, it's, it, it is a it is a situation that needs work. It is not reflective of youth, yeah, in my opinion. Um, and boot camps where you bring kids in and point at them and yell at them, they need to be seen, and you need to create a situation where they feel seen. You know, a kid that's um, getting yelled at isn't going to put his hand on your shoulder and say, "You've got this, Bruce." No. I remember speaking to this young boy on, on the ship, it was just recently actually, and he was scared of water. And so he's wearing a basically a life preserver around <laughs> everywhere. Um, young Māori boy. And so I got the privilege to sit down with him and go, from your, and he's full, he's full immersion, te reo, so first, first language. And I remember saying to him, how do you feel um, the fact that your people are from the water and from, you know, from the, the navigation and all that, and you're scared of water? And he, he was really struggling with it. Mm. Um and it was a, such a privileged conversation. Anyway, every morning we go for a swim at six thirty, and um, he he would go in the water with his with his life preserver on. And I gave this that I actually gave the Brené Brown quote one morning: um, "Comfort or courage. You can either choose comfort or courage. We can't have both." And he walked up to me, and goes, "You know what, Bruce? I'm sick of choosing comfort." Two days later, he was doing manus off the bowsprit awesome. without a without a life preserver. Awesome. All right. Three days later, he was swimming around the ship, confident. But the story goes further. I um, was speaking to his principal at Takora, as, uh, um, and um, she was saying to me that um, he had to go into a speech contest and he had hate, hated public speaking. Se- that was the first part. Second part, he had to do it in English. So he was really uncomfortable. Like speaking in Te Reo would have been much easier for him. And as, as he walked up on stage, um, he said to the principal, you know what? Uh, he used a word that started with F, but I, I, you can make it that up. Uh, something comfort. He said, "I'm yeah. not. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to choose courage." And he walked up and he won the competition. Well, wow. nothing else to say, really, is there? No. My yeah. drop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean that for me, that just goes back to how do we love people? Yeah, and, and I mean, we're talking about these ram raids and things. You know, the wrong question, and I think um, Aaron Hendry, who I, who's been on the podcast, he, he writes really well about this. He said, the question is not, how do we stop them doing this? The question is, what is going on in their life? 100%. You know, and because this is an outworking of, of something that's going on in their life, and it, it's actually showing that our our systems aren't working. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's um, it's not the, the problem. It's the the manifestation of the problem, mm. um, and and yet, what 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 you did with that guy was sit down and and find out okay, well, you know what's underneath all this, mm. and allow him to process that and journey through that and mm. yeah, yeah. I think you know people don't join gangs because they want to take up violence. I think they join gangs for connection. Yeah, humans want to be seen and loved and connected, uh, whatever that looks like for you. And I think. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these young people are not having that experience, mm. and I've been seeing love and, and having that deep connection with someone who genuinely loves them. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm a massive believer, Andy, in a community up strategy rather than a government down strategy. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I believe that if we can empower young people at a community level, and empower is such a loaded word, isn't it? But if we can see young people and enable them to be seen and enable them to be an ally to them, I guess is probably the better word. Mm-hmm. So not, not that I'm walking and saying, this is what you need to do to be right. I'm coming alongside you and how can I be an ally to you towards you realising your absolute potential? And we do that at a community level then I think we can see change. Yeah. I think we are very easy at going, government needs to provide a boot camp. What's the government going to do? Need more money from the government, you know, you know, blah, 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 blah. And yes, they in themselves are solutions, but it's not holistic enough for me. And I think yeah. all these, there's, there's some very, very good youth organisations. I mean, I think of Zeal, for example, yeah. and other organisations like that that are doing some tremendous work at a, at a ground level. You know, Zeal is a great example. They just they just simply create a place where a young person can come in and be. <laughs> you know, um, and they might be just coming in for them and just sitting still and just not having any noise in their life, or picking up a paintbrush for the first time and creating something. Or I think more we develop that, I think we'll start to see effective change in young people. So yeah, no, I'm not a boot camp man at all. They can they can take those and that all that noise and they can put that over there. Yeah. Whoever they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're right though, like a lot of that is is using uh Rangatahi as political footballs, isn't it? I agree. Just just to try and win a few votes by driving fear. Um, yep. you know, all that yep. kind of stuff. Rather than going how do we actually love people? Yeah. You know, and that's what I love about what you're doing now. And, and of course, I mean, you've been involved in that in a whole range of different ways um, through your career. So it's, it's really cool to hear some snippets of that. Yeah. Well, one of the things that the parenting place used to do is that I guess the, the pointy finger one is, you know, don't have sex. Right. In schools, that's, you know, I'm talking about, you know, or, or sexual disease and we scare people. You could get STIs and all this yeah. stuff. Where the parenting place came in and said, okay, your body, you have a choice. Mm. What is what does great look like for you? Yeah, you know what is so it, it's a it's a it's a completely different way of looking at it, and it's given the young person the power to make a decision based on what's best for them, rather than us telling them. It does, I mean, you've got kids; it doesn't work. No, <laughs> you know you can't you can't if a person can't discover who they are and how they can start to navigate life, um, on their own with you know with us being an ally to them then they're going to get lost as soon as they're out on their own. You know? Yeah. I love the word ally. I think it's such a neat word. Because, you know, you're not taking over. You're walking the journey with them side by side. Um, I love that sort of um, that sort of um, description, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it means that as your journey shows, that you can take whatever skills and passions and things that you have Mm. And use it in a way that works for you to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because, you know, you, you do get the sense that there's some people who think, oh, to do good in the world, I have to, you know, stop doing what I love doing. Like if they're really good at making money or something mm. in a business going, well, I have to give that up to go and work for this thing and be on the front lines. It's like, no, no, no you don't no. have to do that. In fact, no. those organizations are crying out for people who can make money, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. Like yeah, someone who's great at fundraising is gold for those organisations. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's a journey I've I've walked on myself. You know, of, of getting myself on the front lines, doing some social kind of stuff, and realising actually, 
I'm this is driving me into anxiety and depression because mm. this is not my skill set, and yet I a hundred percent believe in this organisation. Yes, and and so yeah, how can we be allies? How can we, and yeah. and it might mean we work for someone. It might mean we just have a conversation with someone. You know. Yeah. Uh, Did you ever remember? Because you're you're in your forties. Eh? Sometimes you ever remember sitting in church at times and. Um, someone from the mission field comes in, you know, and they go, and you always walked out thinking, oh, if I'm not on the mission field, then I'm not really doing yeah. any good. Yeah. Um, and that's probably more on me as as much as, as that person. I don't think that person's intention was to say that. But, um, and, I, and I think in some ways we fell in love with the sense of adventure, that they're yeah. out there doing an adventure. But, but I guess for me it's kind of going, as soon as you walk out, well, actually not even when we walk out of the house, as soon as you wake up in the morning, your mission starts. It starts with the way you treat your wife or your partner. Um, I, I talk wife because I've got a wife, but if your partner, however that, however that is for you, uh, it starts with the way you treat your children. It starts with the way you treat your pets. So it starts with the way when you walk downstairs and say hello to the neighbour, even the one you don't like, um, which I mean has much better empathy for people like that than I do, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but, but, you know, Amanda said to me something the other day. We were walking down the street. I... I, I I used to feel bad because if someone came up that I that I felt uncomfortable around or I didn't understand them or, you know, I used to I'd go quiet and I just don't know what to do and I actually I don't really want to engage. And I was thinking, what an arsehole am I? Yet yeah, my beautiful wife, Amanda, just engages beautifully with them and makes them feel... Re- and she said to me the other day, she goes, that's just my strength. You know, that's what I do and I do it well. What you do, you do well. And I think there's a little bit of that too, is that it's okay, like you just said, Andy, is that, you know, your strength may not be the frontline person because of the anxiety or things that can cause effect to you, but you supporting the person that does it, taking them out for coffee, flicking the encouraging text, I'm here for you, bro. There's a massive power in that. Mm. Um, and and there might be a step behind that. You might be go. I'll make sure that your payroll goes in every Tuesday when you expect it and I'm not going to stuff that up. Or it can go step... You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. We all have a part to play and if we do our part well, then we're contributing to the mission. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's a, a beautiful way to sum up our conversation today. So, yeah, thank you for taking time to talk. Um, Pleasure. Thank you for sharing around some of that hard stuff. You know, the vulnerability, the discomfort. Um, because I think that's something that we're not good at as a culture. And no, yet no, and not. yet is actually some of the most valuable life changing times is when you can get into those spaces. So um yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for just sharing a little bit of your heart and, and your passions and, and thank you for what you're doing to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Yeah, thanks man. And um well, hopefully there's some gold in there for you, but um, I'm on a journey and I'm still learning. Um, and um, but I'm very proud of you know the people I've come in contact with and worked with. So it's nice to share a bit of their story too. Hello, hello, heaven. Will I hear you whisper to come near? I came away from this corridor so inspired. Bruce's concern for people in the midst of really uncomfortable change goes a long way to counteract that narrative that CEOs making changes are heartless.
It was great to hear about that space of discomfort and vulnerability that we often do really poorly, and to be challenged to embrace those things while loving those involved. So Bruce, thank you for who you are and for what you do. Here is a blessing for you. Bruce, may you and Amanda continue to thrive in your relationship, complementing one another as you share who you are with each other. May you enjoy this time of life with adult children and all the joys that that stage of parenting brings. As you continue to walk the path of courage, may the discomfort you choose lead to flourishing for you and those whom you serve. May you continue to hear stories from those whom you've led in the past to encourage you in your future as they share the difference that working with you has made to them. But may you know that your influence goes well beyond the stories that come back to you. In your current role, may you see lives changed and futures shaped, not because you are there on deck, but because you are running the organisation in a way that allows those on board to be great. When things get tough, when others aren't seeing the vision or are resisting the changes that you're trying to make, when you wonder to yourself if you're doing the right thing, or in those times of fear and challenge, may you feel a hand on your shoulder and hear those beautiful words of encouragement. You've got this, Bruce. May you always have the spirit of adventure inside you, that desire to see things change and grow and flourish and to see people thrive in the midst of it all. And may you continue to walk that path with love. Lastly, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time when I talk to founder of the Kindness Collective Foundation, Sarah Page. We talk all things kindness and how loving and serving others is good for your own well-being. We hear the remarkable story of small acts of kindness that have led to a thriving charity with huge impact in Aotearoa. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Humai kia mātou ai nei He taroma mātou mō tēnei rā Muro mātou hara Me mātou hoki e muru nei I o te hunga E hara ana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea Kia whakawaia Engari whakorangia mātou I te kino 